Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's going on, everybody? We are here, Mark and Jimmy, on the mic right now, and we're joined across the table by Scott Holfelter. Did I say it right? Yeah. I just want yep. to make sure. Okay. And Cody Sailing. It's not that I don't know your last name. I just, I've always messed it up because there's like L's and F's and then more L's. Yeah. It's, it's hard to spell. And, you know, how often do you actually address somebody by their last name? Right. So, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, these guys are from our binocular repair area in our as part of the VIP warranty thing. You heard about that. We discussed a little bit of it in the 100th episode. It was one of the kind of little segments in there. Uh, obviously, many of you know that anything, if anything ever happens to your product, it's uh, to your Vortex product, it is completely covered forever. And uh, so these guys are technicians. They really know their stuff. They know their way around binos, spotters, and all that kind of stuff. We do also have a team for anything that goes on a gun as well. Those guys are not represented here. It's kind of like, do you guys ever find that it's a little bit like uh, Anchorman, the news teams with, you know, Bino and spotting scope repair versus rifle scope repair and... Throwing tridents. Yeah, <laughs> hand grenades, all that. Uh, not too bad. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no I think good. we... You Friendly know, competition. Right. In the... In the clean rooms downstairs, you have a window, full-length window between your two sections, so you kind of have to stare at each other all the right. day. You want to make sure you don't have that, you know, there's no beef. Right. Because otherwise you got to exactly. stare at them all day. Yeah. No, I mean, we, you know, make an awkward gesture or facial expression at them every <laughs> once in a while, but, <laughs> you know, we're not, uh, it's not full of pranks. Pretty anything, friendly. But, no, yeah, good. we get along good. Um, good deal. I was just saying a fun fact, too, because uh, I've been around here for a while. Scott, you've been here for how many years? I just had my seventh anniversary. Dang, on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember when you first started back in Bound Repair, because I was there, too. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, uh, right before we started, I was like, oh, I've got a fun fact about Scott that I'm going to say. And he's all nervous. But really, actually, the fun fact is you were one of the first people I ever knew who used Spotify. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And and I remember that you had a computer at, at, at your desk, and I didn't because I was just the kid who came in on summers but anyway you had a computer at your desk and it had Spotify open and, and the monitor was a big tube monitor too like at that point in time <laughs> sure. and it's only seven years ago too I imagine like it was like the 80s right but um, on there I remember that you were listening to music and I was like I was like what is that is that is that like Napster or right. or what, something like that. Like, how Let's is that okay? Nap- Napster like, two. How is that okay? Because I remember there was a big Napster debacle, and now you're you're listening to music on Spotify, and he explained the whole thing. And now I use Spotify oh, all yeah. the time. Jim, you'll you'll like this. I mean, you know how I'm a early adopter of technology. Uh, I got Spotify on my cellular telephone last week. <laughs> last week? Yeah, I wow. got it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I was something was going on. It was funky with my uh, car radio, so I. I found that, and it finally by God, it works. It finally <laughs> took something going funky with your Wisconsin Public Radio <laughs> <laughs> to to download Spotify again with the technology, Jim. Uh, that was uh, it was kind of stuck on that station. We so had another that... <laughs> a big, another big technical technological innovation or, or big revelation with you earlier on the podcast too. And I can't remember what that was. It was like you know you, I don't something that would. It's like LastPass, remembering your password, or I don't know. You're terrible at that. Still too. working on that. Um, anyway, let's have you guys introduce yourself so we're not uh, we're not just saying weird, random things about uh, about you guys on our behalf. Yeah, Scott, 
Sure. I've uh, been working here for seven years. And, you know, I got started initially in our inspections department, transitioned over to Bino Repair, you know, just found a home there. The guys are super awesome, pretty light atmosphere, you know, we have a good time down there and just fell in love with doing it and uh, kind of just been growing and learning about the, the product as I go. And, you know, as far as on a user base, primarily what I would use these optics for is uh, like long range shooting mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Okay. Or like indoor small bore. That's what I kind of grew up shooting. And you need a spotting scope for that because when you're real little, they only let you shoot irons with a scope. Okay. So I I got really familiar with using a spotting scope in that context. Yeah, and then kind of just using that experience and and growing here and uh, learning all I can about uh, customer service and, uh, uh, you know, what we can do to improve the product. Right on. Right on. Yeah. And now doing this with you guys so <laughs> something new all the time really oh yeah oh yeah well i'd imagine like stuff that you guys encounter we got to get cody introduced here but you know helps product development along the way as far as like you know potentially spotting you know something that might be a more not common issue but maybe something that's going on that we yeah. can improve upon well i'll tell you i mean i can think back to one where it was like i remember and one thing we'll get into because we are going to be discussing proper just care maintenance cleaning whatever of your optics some of the older binos, I remember the way that we made the strap loops, for example. Yeah. When people were putting those key rings, we were just talking about this before we went out because we are like, oh, we've got to talk about the thing with key rings. It's such a big loops. one. Yeah. And we were like, well, you know, on some of the newer binos, let's make sure we beef that up so people who are using the old key ring thing, you know, and they don't, they don't get a better tethered system or use the zip tie system, they're not necessarily breaking them, those strap loops right away. So, you know, just little things like that they can point out. And uh, if you have noticed... For example, that these strap these strap loops are a little bit beefier. Those are pretty. Yes, beefy. Uh, that's uh, you did that vortex nation. <laughs> uh, Cody, how about uh, how about yourself? Yes, yeah, uh, Cody Sailing. I've been in vinyl repair for over four and a half years now. So uh, yeah, just I started down there initially and been here ever since. It's always something new, really, because we get you know new models and different things coming in to work on and, you know, spotting scopes and range finders and tripods. So mm-hmm. been able to keep learning along as we've gone with new products and such. New stuff to take apart and then build back up, you know. And right. also, I'm sure you guys get all kinds of new stories all the time. Oh, of course. Just awesome. <laughs> Some, sometimes, yeah. sometimes not so awesome stories. <laughs> Bear, you know, eatings and falling out of who knows what, getting run over by who knows what, chopped up by... Whatever. Yep. Yeah, I've seen enough dog uh, a, t- a dog uh, chewed on stuff that I'm pretty confident. I know I can tell just before yeah. even read the note. Yeah, you know what a dog <laughs> bite <laughs> looks like. Yeah. Very distinctive yes, canines. Yes, it is. Yeah. It was a pack of wolves, I swear. <laughs> well, maybe domestic descendants. Yeah. yeah. So, like you said, the topic at hand today is proper optics, care, maintenance, cleaning, uh, we've had a number of suggestions for this topic, and we, from listeners out there, and we wanted, we were thinking, you know, what well, is it, a 10-minute talk? Can you kind of breeze through it in 10 minutes? And then as we got into a number of these actual processes, and then also best practices to maybe avoid right. a potential bigger issue in the future, we realized it actually was more of a full-length podcast. So uh, we have a couple of optics here on the table, again, with these guys being in bino, spotting scope, repair, that kind of area. Most of these revolve around these types of optics. But the funny thing is, really, even though rifle scopes, they look quite a bit different, they mount to a, a rifle, they're, 
lot of the things and, and care, maintenance, all that stuff is very similar. So it can it can apply to most any kind of optic. But, uh, Scott, you brought a bag of goodies here. First off, I think one of the big things is a lot of people run into and they ask us, how should I go about properly cleaning my optics? So they take it out in the field. It gets all dirty, dusty. Actually, even sometimes maybe they haven't taken it out in the field, but it's just gotten really dusty over time. And they want to clean it, but they want to clean it properly because this is their investment. This is their their literal eyes when they're out in the field. And so they want it to be performing as good as possible and be all nice and clean. So when it comes to the cleaning regimen tools, what do you got here? Hey, Jim, I'll take this one. Uh, you just kind of give a little blast of hot air, and then you grab your shirt tail. <laughs> And give her a few, uh, it's like a circular motion. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> You're right. What, Scott, are you going to tell, <laughs> <me? You're laughs> tell me that's what not to do? You know, in a pinch, worst case scenario, not the not the worst idea, but probably... Less than ideal. I can't really think about, yeah, there's not really a, a situation... Don't sugarcoat it, Scott. Outside of maybe, you know, it just being completely caked in mud where you want to just get that initial layer off that you might want to do that, but honestly, <laughs> I would say, like, some kind of brush, like, if it was completely caked with mud, let's say, you know, a brush and actually, like, pouring water on the lens, not necessarily, mm-hmm. like, dunking it in something, not, not submerging it, but, mm-hmm. you know, a water bottle like this, pour a little bit on, dump it out immediately, and then just keep working at it. It's really a game of patience mm-hmm. if you don't want to do any kind of catastrophic damage at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's kind of like the order of operations then? Right, sure. So let's get in here. Let's dump out the bag of tricks. Oh, we even have a lens here, yeah. too. Oh, wow. Cody, you want to tell them about this lens real quick? Oh, yeah. This was a, a common case when you use uh, using canned air. So canned air is really nice because you can get it, uh, you know, at the, any store, really, you know. And um, it's good for initially blowing off uh, any debris and dust or dirt, anything in there. Yeah, but why does this lens look completely trashed? Well, when you turn the can, possibly upside down or to the side, sometimes it can shoot a blast of, like, pretty cold air. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and especially in, uh, say you're in an environment where it's really hot, and that hot, that temperature change will cause uh, cracks like that. Immediate temperature. So that's I can't, not I can't uncommon even f- to see that. Going from hot to cold. Looking at it, I feel like I should be able to feel what's going on here. I don't know if the viewers can see that, but I mean, it's pretty serious, but you can't. So those are cracks. It's like, yeah, where it's are like those all cracks? In, inside, in between. Internally. Yeah, internally in the lens. Look at that. Yeah, that thing is. So one, one spray of canned air that was a little too cold. and When you actually look through the optic, could you see that pretty, pretty significantly? Well, if we want to bring that up, I brought an example here of some pretty damaged binos. I don't know, into this camera. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. When you like, So this is a set of crossfire binoculars, uh, 10 by 42 yep. or something like that, and you literally have X's, like knife-carved right. into the objective lenses and the eyepiece lenses. Yep. So Looks like some uh, creative hammering there <laughs> as well, maybe with an ice pick perhaps. Yeah, so, yeah that's actually a pretty good uh, guess, but... Um, yeah, if you put, if you'll use those, Scott, I'm a little bit, I'm taking back the fact that you have an ice pick on hand. But <laughs> continue. It's really just a metal scribe, but okay. it does the same job. So, you know, they're not in alignment. So I would suggest you only look through that with one eye. Yeah. Okay. But you know, you can look through each of those barrels. One of them has clean lenses. One of them doesn't. And that's going to kind of, you know, show the difference between like smudges on the glass versus dings and, and scratches. Um, you can see, you know, 
the oculars are way more noticeable when there's any damage on those than the objectives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oculars being closest to your eye. Right. So um, the You can the top see through lenses, them basically. surprisingly well. Right. I mean, you'll, you'll notice that there's some distortion. You can kind of see that X pattern right. if you look for it. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at a target or anything of any distance away and focusing on that, you're, it's going to be hard to see that stuff. So that's something that we kind of show people to kind of get them over the hump of, I have a minor light scratch, surface scratch on one of my objective lenses. Oh, no. Well, this is totally I, ruined, but right. it's actually perfectly serviceable until, you know, they might be able to get it to us and we can help. Yeah, them. it has to get it has to get substantially bad before you actually really even begin noticing stuff. In right. fact, this really dirty side here, all else similar, same scratches, basically literally almost the exact same scratches. The dirty side, I feel I can notice a bigger difference when I could just go from clean to dirty. Yeah, exactly. As I am probably almost even going from non-scratch to scratch. Yep. Because when I look mm-hmm. through the uh, the really scratch side but still clean, to your point, way out to the edge, maybe I can see a little more distortion than I can right in the middle, but right in the middle it looks kind of normal. Yeah. Yep. And to add to that, you know, if somebody has a pair of binoculars at home that, you know, they feel might not be super clear, you know, maybe if you did some cleaning, you know, just proper cleaning, you know, you could significantly improve the clarity you're getting. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yep. I know that's one that I feel that a couple times, you know, people person be like, oh, I've got a little ding on my objective. I need to send these in. And one thing that I've asked is, well, do you notice anything? And it's like, well, no. So, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I said, you know, in a pinch, don't let something like that ruin your hunting trip. You yeah. Know? Right. If you got something coming up immediately, like within the next week or so, and, uh, you're afraid maybe we can't get it and get it back to them in that time, don't sweat it. It's, right. It's going to work for you. Right. So when it does come to cleaning, yes. now let's say, so that does appear to make a pretty significant difference. How do you guys recommend going cleaning? You have, I see dental picks here. There's a toothbrush <laughs> in front of us. There's a uh, the Vortex lens cleaning kit. You've got uh, Q-tips. Is this a hygiene intervention? We got super lube, <laughs> Q-tips. We even have is uh, a piece of rope, mm-hmm. zip Zip tie. What, is that a mascara? Brush? Yes, it is actually. It is. All, most everything that we use is are like common household items. So um, you don't really need a whole lot of special tools or gadgets and gizmos. You know, everyday normal stuff can get the job done. So okay, where do you start then? I'm imagining probably with big stuff. Yeah, what, you uh, something? I guess the first would be if you do have like a canned air would be the good place to start at first because it'll get a lot of big hunks of debris and any kind of dust out mm-hmm. right Just away. Just upside down. Yep, right, correct. So doing a little test shots and stuff before you put it near your lenses and stuff is a really good idea just to make sure you don't have a, a rapid ten- temperature change where you could damage them. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. before you do a brush, if you if you have canned air or something, that's a good place to start. Okay. And then I've uh, even found that at uh, you can find canned air even if you're just be bopping around Best Buy or any of those like tech stores too, because I know a lot of people use the canned air on their Absolutely. Uh, All right computers, for internals, keyboards, and stuff. All that keyboards. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's probably where I would go. Mm-hmm. I don't see it many other places other than I've me. seen it at your uh, most hardware stores and then also tech stores. That's kind of yeah. where I've primarily found it at. Sure. So yeah, you can blast it with that, or you know, you can use an air compressor. You know, some people mm-hmm. have an air compressor in their shops or something like that. You know, just don't go don't go crazy with the the air pressure. What do we keep ours at? Like I don't know. It's, I think it's below sixty. Mm-hmm. Like we had it at eighty p. 
PSI once, and that was almost unbearable. Successive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, because we're doing it like hundreds of times a day using it, but... So something you know, like an aerosol can would produce, it, you know, right. I mean, nothing crazy. Right, you just want to kind of blow the stuff off. You're not trying to, like, scrape it off with air yeah. or, like, use it like a pressure washer or something like that. But So after, you know, you give it a good blast there and get all the big loose chunks out, you're going to want to use a, a bristle brush. Um, mm-hmm. It would come on many common lens pens. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use any kind of brush, really. Softer the better, probably. Huh? Right. I mean, it's kind of like using sandpaper where you might want to use like a stiffer, coarser brush initially to get the really caked on stuff and then grow more and more fine as you as you keep cleaning. But um, typically we don't see much that, you know, something like this couldn't handle. And I guess, you know, technique wise, you know, you'd kind of want to like uh, the way I go about it is sort of like a stabbing and digging and flicking motion. Stabbing, <laughs> digging, and flicking. Wow. Yeah, all the way around the, the corners or the edges of the lens. Um, you know, a lot of stuff will, will mi- migrate towards the, the edge there. And you uh, kind of... Okay. And what I can see there, too, is you're pushing, you're starting almost at the edge, but also, like, pushing towards the edge so you're not bringing that debris across right. the lens. Yeah, you know, if I was doing this in the shop, I'd kind of angle this down and use gravity and kind okay. of rotate the lens as I'm... Okay, yeah. You haven't even touched the center of, of the lens yet. You're uh, actually just going around the housing that holds the lens inside. Yep. Um, so, okay. Yeah, so... Um, Most people just go right for the lens right away. Right. You know, you know, there's a whole lot of ways you could just mash at this and get it done, but... That that's what I've found works best. Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, you, you play around with that for a while. You can use toothpicks to get around the, the edge if there's crud in there, you know, for real fine work. You know, not even really paying attention mostly to the, the middle of the lens, the meat of the lens or whatever. Using, you know, you just, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, using like your air in between too can help you as you're going. Right, too. as yeah. you're doing Break this stuff whole... up, spray it, try to yep. clear it off. Yeah, once you knock some stuff loose. Right. Mm-hmm. And then from there... We have a couple of different of different treatments. It kind of depends on on what's on your lens, really, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes I can I'd imagine maybe you could have something that's more greasy or oily. Sometimes you could have something that's more like dried and crusted. Yep, absolutely. You know, dried and crusted stuff. We'd want to use some kind of solvent or liquid. You know, it doesn't have to be all that fancy, really. Yeah. There's a lot of of liquids out there, solvents. You know, that we use for certain purposes. But really, I'd say water and isopropyl alcohol will do the job 99% of the time. Yeah. You don't need to graduate to, like, um, acetone, no, for example. I, like, just go dousing in acetone. That's, right. That's overkill. Well, yeah. I, and I think we're talking about kind of a pretty extreme, like, debris, something caked on the lens scenario right here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Or not? No, just any. I mean, it could be anything, too. Because, I mean, let's say... I'm just going to speak maybe even on a turn here, but, like, you get water droplets on your lenses sometimes when that water just dries over okay. time. Think okay. about think yeah. about sunspots on your car. Yep. When you go through a car wash and then it's sunny out and then you go driving around, you get home and you think you're going to look at a nice shiny new car, but you get out and it's all just full of spots. Okay. And so the same thing can kind of happen to your lenses too. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one of the hardest things for us to get off and – you know, one of the hardest things that uh, somebody that might not know this would encounter is, like, mineral spots, like, just like Jimmy was saying. Okay, um, right. Like, a kind of unexplainable, kind of, it almost looks like little dots of, of a mirror finish that's been applied. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no matter what you scrub it with, it just will not come off. But 
you know, one trick that we've learned is actually saliva will get that stuff off a lot of the times. It might look like it's a scratch or like um, some of the coating has worn off. But yeah, if you just uh, dip a Q-tip in your mouth and go at it, 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 uh, it actually dissolve, dissolves yeah. those, uh, those minerals really Nature, well. Nature's Man. cleaner. Forget yeah. elbow grease. We're talking about tongue grease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> there's your binocular cleaning hack for the day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so what do you do, for example, let's say something more kind of oily or something, you know, like a uh, fingerprint is on there. Fingerprints oh, sure. are kind of oily, right? Yeah, and even trying first, like something really like gentle, like the like a lens cleaner like this on mm-hmm. a Q-tip first is really good start. Because, you know, say you have something like a fingerprint or something that's really on there, you can put some, a couple drops on a Q-tip, go through wet the lens and then flip it over with the dry side, clean it off. And if you have to do that a couple times, you know, being real delicate, mm-hmm. that can take care of some of that stuff yeah. like that too. I feel like most times what ends up happening to me is I'm in a scurry or I'm being impatient and I go at it and there's like a fingerprint, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to clean that, mm-hmm. swirl it around a little bit. And next thing I know, the fingerprint is sort of gone, but it's actually just spread smeared. everywhere and it's just smeared <laughs> right. bigger. And I'm like, yep. oh, now I have a bigger problem on my hands. And then I try and get that all cleaned up and I just keep moving it around the lens right. everywhere. Like and then, some- then your uh, then your pen tip like is just full of grease. So that oh, pen tip is now those pen junk. tips. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think probably a lot of people think that those pen tips are almost like single use, you know, like ah, I used it once. Now it's all every time I go around, it just smudges everything. It's like, well, that's probably because you didn't prep the lens for right. it before you actually went to the to the uh, I don't even know what to call that. It's, it looks like a felt suction cup. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost exactly what it is. It's just a felt tip or flat felt pad on, uh, you know, a circular base like that. And sometimes they come with um actually really super micro fine granules of graphite oh wow yeah interesting and uh that'll actually you know help it's it's almost like a buffing action Mm -hmm. on the lens you know okay so but it's so fine that it's not leaving visible scratches or anything like that but yeah so uh, at what point in the process or what prep have you done when it's time to use that side of the lens pin because i feel like a lens pin is a is an item that a a lot of folks have yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely I would say almost if after you've, you know, used air, brushed it off, brushed off the big debris, maybe use something like a, a lens cleaner on a Q-tip to try to clean it off even more. Okay. And then that'll be super clean compared to if you went right at it with just the, the lens pen. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to pick up as much grease because you probably got rid of it with the uh, lens cleaner. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it'll help your lens pen last lo- longer too. So. Right. Absolutely. So that's good stuff for cleaning for sure. Now, how about there's there's a bunch of other maintenance and just care items uh, in general. How about we? I think we're just going to kind of rattle these off. And it, and if I forget anything or you guys think of some, definitely just bring it up. So, first thing I'm looking at right now is on this set of binos, and we mentioned it earlier. Strap loops. Should we talk about those. You guys had like a list before we came in here of a few big major things that people could easily avoid, but that you guys see fairly often. One of which being strap loops breaking and people wanting to people want to have something they can tether their binocular harness on too easily and instead of just sending the uh, nylon straps to the strap loop or doing something like that they want to attach it to like a key ring so like a metal loop that your keys would normally be on and they just throw that metal key ring right on the strap loops on the on the binocular 
and that just winds up chewing it up and eventually breaking it off, right? Right, yep. Some of our models have plastic strap loops. Um, some of them have metal strap loops like the Razors or, you know, the old Vipers and the new Vipers. So, yeah, I mean, you're risking, you know, if you're worried about the paint chipping, we see that a lot from strap, strap loop damage like that um, using key rings. Something like a plastic loop could snap off at some point and, you know, there's a catastrophic failure of your binos. You know, they could slip off your neck and, you know, you don't see them or wherever they're being stored. But, um, yeah, like you said, the biggest way we can avoid that is by using some kind of other attachment method, not just use going directly through the strap loop. So, like, on these, you know, we have our strap connectors, which are basically just like a neoprene loop with a key ring on the end. And just using something like that will significantly prolong the life of your of your strap loops. Mm-hmm. Another low-cost method, if you just want to DIY it, is uh, zip ties. So you could just thread a zip tie through your, your strap loop there and attach a key ring through that. Mm-hmm. And there you go. There's your low-cost option. It's replaceable. Yeah. Keep the key ring off of the thing that's not easily replaceable. Right. I mean, in, in, the thing is, it's covered under the VIP warranty. I mean, regardless, right? But this this is something that we're saying, like you said, all of a sudden it busts on you when you're on a trail and there's right. like a big drop-off next to you and binos go falling down the trail. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's covered, but is it a pain in the butt to deal with? Totally. Yeah, right. absolutely. And well, not, not only that, I mean, you're on a hunt, right? And even if your binos don't go tumbling off a cliff, you still want to have them conveniently where you want them like the rest of that it, trip. Yeah. Right. I mean, it bugged the heck out of take me the entire digger, time. Take a digger in that mud we've been talking about. Take a digger in, you know, whatever. Right. And, and the then not only is, then, you're sending them in, so they're going to be without them for a, not yeah. long, actually. You guys are amazing at getting stuff back, but it's still a, a process that you could have avoided. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, you mentioned it, too. Some of the strap loops are, like, part of the polycarbonate chassis. Some of them are metal just because you got metal strap loops you're, doesn't mean you're in the clear. You can just go throwing key rings on there. I've seen, because I remember when I was down there, and you guys, I'm sure, still see it. Those key rings are gnarly, man. I don't know what it is about them. They will chew through anything. They're like gophers or, <laughs> or squirrels or something. <laughs> yeah, the, the metal on metal just doesn't bode well to that. I mean, it's a steel ring on, a, you know, like a magnesium-based body mm-hmm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, when we're talking about our razors and... It's going to, yeah, eventually it'll chew through. You know, it's it's rare, but we have seen Gen 3 razors with um, holes worn through the strap loops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a pretty bad, that's a pretty bad deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So that was, that was one big one. I know uh, another big one that I could think of was just double checking and making sure your binoculars are in alignment. And when we were looking through this super beat up set of crossfires here earlier, you mentioned how they weren't in alignment. I held them up to my eyes and almost threw up because they're <laughs> so far out of the line. They, these have definitely really gotten beat up. But a lot of people at times will note that their, you know, dad's old set of binos that he handed down to him, they just don't look very good. And certainly it could just be, you know, technology advances, optical systems get better and better. Modern day binoculars probably are going to be better than some of the older ones. But a lot of times what happens is when people own a set of binoculars for a while, they start saying things like, I just feel like they don't look as good as they did when I first opened them. And yes, when you first open a set of new binoculars, usually there's that kind of shock and awe, like, oh, wow, these are such an (laughs) upgrade. And then after a while, it becomes the norm. But actually, it can degrade over time. And that's just a matter of... You have two barrels, speaking of binoculars here specifically, 
two barrels that are designed to be set in perfect alignment to one another. I mean, it's really kind of like two fixed power spotting scopes. And when you bump them around and they drop occasionally and they just get used, beat up, opened and closed on the hinge a t- you know a million times, all that stuff happens to them. All that stuff is totally working against the perfect alignment of the binoculars when they come out of the box. And after a while, they may begin to drift a little bit. And something I know you guys check every time a set of binoculars comes in for anything, whether it's, uh, you know, an eye cup or, you know, somebody, whatever, who knows what happened. We check it for alignment. Sometimes they're perfect, but sometimes the older, more used ones and ones that look a little bit more banged up, you'll see that they're just a little off, you know, and then you guys can tweak right. that. But, yeah, it's it's worth checking. Is there is there a way that, like, somebody could check themselves or is it too is it complicated or should they send it in if they feel like yeah it just doesn't look the same or yeah we're not opposed to having somebody ever send their binos in just for a checkup you know like um right a lot of times you know going back to that whole customer experience thing you know the stuff that we might suggest a customer do or a suggestion that maybe they want to send it in rather than do a diy fix is so that we can give them the best experience right when they need them so Sometimes it might be a pain in the butt, but overall we're looking out for their enjoyment of our product. Mm-hmm. So, um, where were we going with that? I'm so Talking sorry. About any kind of no worries, no worries at all. Because I, I understand what you're saying. Because like oh, to self check yeah. for alignment. The alignment, yeah. Alignment sorry. Thing, what you don't want to have happen is start putting out the boogeyman that like, oh, if you like, if you touch your binoculars, they'll go out of alignment. And here's a way to check it but it's kind of a difficult way and all of a sudden everybody starts checking it and then everybody's like, my binoculars are out of alignment, they're out of yeah. alignment, but really they're not. So there are there are some ways to check and maybe maybe it's uh, it's something that you can explain better in a video or something along those lines rather than listening to it via a podcast. Right. But I think the thing is, though, is that if you do feel as though when you look through binoculars, one of the big things I've noticed is like a set, an out of alignment set of binoculars, you just get a headache after yeah. a while, right? And you and right. your eyes feel strained after looking. Like your eyes shouldn't feel strained when you're looking through a binocular if they're in proper alignment. Even if it's an entry-level optical system compared to a high-end optical system, your eyes shouldn't feel strained. You shouldn't feel like a headache forming after you've been looking through it for a few minutes. Stuff like that begins to be a telltale sign. And if you ever do take a, you know, your binoculars take a digger, that, that stuff just happens. You drop them out of the, going on your way up to a tree stand, you drop them as you're just walking somewhere, whatever happens. A lot of times you pick them up, you dust them off, they're just fine, right? And you look through them, but it, it's still, I think, if it takes a significant bang and everything seems to be just fine. You know, maybe use it while you need to use it, but if you ever wind up being like, yeah, well, it's the off-season now, I'm, I'm good on these for the next couple of weeks, months, whatever, it wouldn't be a bad thing to just say, hey, send it in. You know, if it's a Vortex thing, send it in to our guys and just say, hey, this took a big dash. Mm-hmm. Everything seems fine, but can you check it and make sure it's in alignment? Yeah, absolutely. Then, yeah. It's like even on like, you know, the extreme edge of like looking for how your alignment is, you know, if you're looking out in the distance on something, you know, hundreds of, like say 200 yards away and you're getting like a severe double image where mm-hmm. it, um, you know, you close one eye and the other and it's a severely like double image looking or they're, pulled apart really far, you know, something like that is extreme. And then, you know, the less extreme it is, it could be just like eye strain or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes you may not visibly see it, but your eyes are actually kind of fighting. Fatigue, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, you're behind that glass for 15, 20 minutes, you're going to start to feel it. Yeah. Like pretty bad. 
but yeah, it's like it's like you said. You know, you'll know right away when something is catastrophically wrong. Like mm-hmm. you'll have mm-hmm. an insane image, impossible to use kind of things. Those are the stuff. That's the stuff that. You know, I would say if you need to use it on a trip or for whatever reason, you know, you have to have some kind of magnification optic. Just close one eye. Just use it with one barrel. You know, a lot of people might think it's a binocular. I have to use both eyes no matter how much it hurts or or whatever. But something (laughs) just to get you by. Right. uh, You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. You got no other options. You just close one eye. That can also get fatiguing, but you could also just, uh, if you happen to have a lens cover or some tape or any way to to, um, occlude one of the barrels. Okay, right. Just use it as a monocular. Yeah, makes total sense. What what are what are some other things that people can uh, people can do as they're sort of maintaining proper ownership? You know, all that stuff. Other other items that you guys see. I'm trying to think. We've gone over strap loops, alignment. Yep. Eye cup care. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say. Yes. Yeah. You know, going along with all the brushes we have here, you know, even just a simple toothbrush or like this mascara brush that we have up here, you know, just getting in and if you twist up your eye cups and just to try to get uh, a little bit of the dirt out that you have or even like a Q-tip just to clean out the track of inside your eye cups, you know, that can make a world of difference for Mm -hmm. how they feel and how they work. The eye cups that you guys see... I, I just remember my time there seeing it's incredible <laughs> some of the eye cups that that come through there I mean you almost have to try to get them as dirty and yeah. crudded up and <laughs> I mean just disgusting and gritty as I've seen them in the past it it really is incredible these are on a track like you said as they move up and down and yep. a lot of times if you're somebody that doesn't wear prescription eyeglasses or, or whatever when you're using the binoculars, you're going to be twisting up your eye cups a lot, and then when you're done with them, you'll twist them back down, and you rely on that being a nice, smooth mechanism right. there. And when people just get loads of crap gunked up in there, they don't start riding in their tracks well. It's super gritty. Sometimes they just seize, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, after a yeah. while, they just give up. And how can you? how can one avoid that from building up to that point? Well, that's another thing almost you could use, uh, like a double feature of using the canned air is also to help get the debris out of that mm-hmm. and uh, before you even use a Q-tip or something. But then you could also use a, a grease like this uh, super lube we have here, you know, just a little bit on a toothpick inside the track, just a little bit to... Uh, the old super lube. Do you want to explain? Multi-purpose yeah. synthetic grease. Yeah, I mean, uh, we use that particular grease. Um, it's a dielectric grease, and we just found that it has a good consistency a good kind of tension with, with grease, with the kinds of greases that we use throughout the bino, you'll find that different textures and consistencies work better for certain applications. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just any kind of oil, grease, just stuff laying around the house mm-hmm. will do the job. The, the key probably is... Probably not WD-40. Yeah, probably. That's kind of yeah, a dust I mean, that will, That's kind of a dust attract <laughs> right. from everything I've... You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... The key is to not overdo it. You know, you don't want to get a huge glob on, uh, you know, your Q-tip here, and then you accidentally hit your lens, and then you've got that whole same problem that we started out talking about is how sure. do you get that grease and oil off my lens. So For sure. It's really about finesse and taking your time and, uh, you know, just get a nice light coat on the inside of the track of the eye cup and, uh, you know, work it a bit and... Hopefully it will, uh, you know, smooth out for you. Mm-hmm. How critical is that you get all the grit out of there before you apply that grease? 
or maybe it's not. Right. I mean, I don't know. Without taking the entire eye cup apart, I don't know how well you could get something completely clean. Right. Um, like we would ideally want. Right. That kind of almost takes uh, a, a dismantling and yeah. reassembly. And I think it's important to point out a lot of the stuff that we're describing here. I mean, some of it's just general maintenance you'll do all the time, right? But a lot of it is like to get you through, right? You know, right. Yeah. Until that's yeah. yeah. I mean, that's mostly what you know our focus is on when we're trying to help people out in the field. It's like we really want to take care of it for you because we want to make sure it's up and running. And uh, but in worst case scenarios, this solution might get you by. I'm actually I'm actually glad that I didn't bring my ten by forty twos. Maybe they would have been a good example because I've just used the heck out of those. <laughs> I would things. love to see they're, them. They're yeah. in my yeah. truck right now. <laughs> but you'd probably you'd probably you know it's like I pull the eye cup up. I'm like, oh my old skateboard. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've been they've seen, but to their credit, I've never had them looked at. Like I've used the heck out of those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean another thing that you could do while we're on eye cups is. Um, you know, say you're, uh, you lose like maybe a tensioner. So these are held in place by usually a rep, uh, up to three small little rubber tensioners that kind of keep it up in place or in a certain position. And okay. Oh, right. Sometimes yeah. those can wear out. And what we've seen people do is actually tape these open, you know, so they'll have their correct eye relief. Okay. Mm-hmm. With or without glasses, but it's kind of a, a fixed solution. Right. It doesn't maybe look the greatest, but right. it's functional. So yeah. if you if you're having problems with them staying up, you know, some people like to put a lot of pressure on these eye cups when they put it up to their eyes. Mm-hmm. And we'll get complaints that, you know, the eye cup doesn't stay up and it, it folds down on me. Well, you know, we have seen some people fix that with duct tape. Okay. So something nice. to, nothing duct tape can't do. <laughs> yeah, I right. mean but yeah, at that point they're no longer really easily adjustable eye cups. But, right. Yeah. But they're I eye mean, cups and they work and they keep your eye relief. Right. right. And then you know a week later when you get home you can get so them to us I and they fix you up. I can't do like heavy pressure on my on my eye sockets with my eye cups. No. I, I gotta. It's like I can't just dig those things in there. Yeah. Some people do though. Oh, not me, man. No, no. Um, eye cups, definitely a big thing. Probably the biggest thing that you guys see. I mean, just because oh, yeah. they're out there, they're hanging out, you know, when you drop something off, usually they're the first thing. I, I, I think binoculars are a bit like cats, and, in, in like, cats always land on their feet, well. and binoculars <laughs> always land on <laughs> the corner uh, of the eye cup. Okay, yeah. Like, like, okay. like somehow it could be it tumbling, tumbling <laughs> through the air, and everything about physics just goes against it landing on the eye cup, and then last minute, boom, eye cup yep. first. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. But they are, and, and the thing is, like, you can still use them. A lot of times people beat their eye cups up, you know, or, and they drop them, the thing falls up. You can still use it. It's just you realize how uncomfortable it is to use it if it's if it's all screwed up as soon as you don't have them there or have them working properly. Yep. Staying on the eye cup thing a little bit, um, sometimes when we have to, when we send out a, an, a, a fully assembled eye cup, this is kind of like an emergency situation. You know, somebody's got a match coming up or okay. a hunt the next day. They don't have time to send it in. They're completely missing an eye cup or something like that. You know, on this right side, there's also a diopter that is that makes direct contact with these eye cups. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for the few people that this might apply to out in the world, if you get one of our eye cups like that, you know, we're always going to suggest that maybe it be sent in because when we see a, a case like that, there's a good chance that the ocular itself has spun out of the chassis and you lose weatherproofing 
uh, alignment and focus mm-hmm. when that happens. It's kind of a lot of important things. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You've <laughs> so you've uh, done you've done it pretty dirty at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but if we were to send you just an eye cup, you know, you'd want to be careful that you're not putting so much pressure on the diopter when you install that that you freeze up the diopter, mm-hmm. and now it's glued on there, and your diopter is stuck. Therefore you know, making it almost useless at that point. So right. I just thought I'd throw that out there for the four people that, <laughs> that, that find themselves. That yeah. It's a problem. But. It's worth, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Here's one thing, speaking of things potentially seizing up, uh, uh, or something like that. Now there's the diopter, but then there's also the actual hinge mechanism. You guys were mentioning earlier that sometimes people gorilla tighten their tripod adapters onto the hinge because when you look at you look at the hinge where everything meets together in the middle on the binocular and then on the front end or the objective end uh, opposite the focus wheel there's a little cover there and you can unscrew that and then put a tripod adapter there and you can put your binos on the tripod you said sometimes people gorilla tighten that just way too tight which actually it doesn't necessarily just like you know oh I want these good and good and tight so they're not going to go anywhere that same mechanism that you're threading your tripod adapter into is also part of the hinge, and you can wind up screwing with a number of things with the hinge, which isn't... I'll just let you get into the rest of it. So, you know, actually, looking at some of our newer models, this is not as big a problem as it used to be. Okay. Okay. Um, Primarily, when we would see this, it would be, you know, an older model like a Diamondback Classic or... Those are kind of the vipers. The vipers have always been kind of a medium, a middle ground of that, where it could and it. I don't know. It's just better a better designness for that problem than like a Diamondback Classic or like a Ranger back in the Eagle Optics days. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, or like really old Crossfires or something. But yeah, I mean, um, a lot of times the way we tension the hinge itself is that same adapter that allows you to put a tripod on. Okay. Um, Okay. So. So when you're cranking on that adapter and really hossing on it, it's going to change the the pressure in the hinge. And then so obviously for one, that's going to make it either too loose if you take it off or too tight for somebody to comfortably use. Mm -hmm. But to me, the biggest problem with that is it's actually going to affect your alignment. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. So the barrels, I mean, it doesn't look like much and it doesn't feel like much, but any slight little movement or deviation in these barrels as in an opposing force mm-hmm. affects the alignment. Okay. It's not until you get to uh, our razor line or, you know, some equivalent that has a really solid metal chassis where it's mm-hmm. not a, as big of a, a, a deal. It's okay. still there. It does not take much at all to throw a bino like that out of alignment when you're torquing on barrels. And would that... I guess, uh, would it recover from that once you, like, unthreaded, de-threaded the tripod adapter, or is that going to kind of potentially make it stay that way? Mm-hmm. It usually will stay at that tighter tension if you did over-tightened it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not what it's going to be before you did that. Okay. So it it might be better. We've seen that <laughs> where sometimes it, it, uh, it autocorrects itself. Other times it throws it way off. It's like uh, the other but day, Jim, when I had all that, uh, I was having a bunch of ankle pain, and then I rolled my ankle, and it got better. <laughs> you just need to roll it wow. more to fix it. <laughs> yeah, or that guy that got turned into a newt, but then he got better. Oh, what? Wait, oh, sorry. What? Shoot. <laughs> Monty Python? 
I've seen it. Oh. Never wow. mind. I'm sorry. Oh, you threw, I, you threw that, me for a that loop bombed there for hard. A sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no. I, somebody, that's somebody on, listening. That's on us. <laughs> no, yeah, that was on us. Bad, bad hosting. <laughs> <laughs> we bad take full responsibility. We'll that part out. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's my takeaway on that because we'll always. If you can, recommend tripod glassing with your binoculars just because it works so oh, yeah. awesome. Heck it's yeah. worth it. But per Scott, don't overhoss it. Don't overhoss it. That's right. Let's a, just... a good way to think about it is, you know, at least with our tripod adapters, we have um, the 400, the VT400, which is like a long skinny one that has a kind of a, a square base to it. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Unadapter which is basically just a small rod that sticks out. Mm-hmm. And you attach both of those to your quick-release plates. The Unadapter is more of a unit that's meant to be really cranked down for a set interpupillary distance. So hmm. you can kind of hoss that one down. Okay. That's I good because I've been doing that. Yeah, that one's not bad. Um, <laughs> Guilty. But what people... <laughs> Because once you have it, you set, weren't going to say that unless he, <laughs> yeah, unless was, he mentioned. I was going to bring it up after. Hey, yeah, uh, right. you mentioned uh, the yeah, hossing. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that one, you know, I figure once it's set, it's not coming off like regularly. Sure. Oh, you know? right, right. So even if it does throw your alignment off a little bit, if it's tolerable to what you can handle, then go for it. Okay. But our VT four hundred is is one of those where it's not really designed to have a really super tight grip to it and, and, and tension. So, like, you know, people will just crank on that with, a, like, a pliers or something. Oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah. You know, those are really set to where you install it on the bino, loose tension, you set your IPD, and then, you know, you give it, like, a quarter of a turn to tension it back up. Now, if you were to take the binos and still try to, like, move them, it would take nothing, nothing at all. Those are kind of more designed to just give you just enough tension to keep the binos in place. And you're more manipulating them with, like, the tripod head itself or handle okay. than right. touching the binos. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. Got it. That's a good way to go. That's good to know. Man, did you folks know that there was so much to even think about just using and owning your binos? I've been given a few things to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have. Uh, here's one I've seen people mention. So they get a binocular or spotting scope or rifle scope, and so this applies to all the kinds. It's nitrogen, argon purge, whatever, waterproof, fogproof. Take it outside, bring it somewhere, who knows where, and dramatic temperature change, boom, fog. And... Exterior fog. Well, that well that, that's the thing, though, is that it's sometimes not always... Apparent because sometimes on the objective lens, so you're not always looking staring oh, down sure. your objective lenses, right? But anyways, they're wondering what the heck's going on because this thing's supposed to be fog proof. Fog on the outside of the lenses, so that's the thing. That's that that is you are correct. This is what I'm talking about. Fog on the outside of the lenses is just a, it's physics. It just happens. Pretty normal. Right? So I know that sometimes you can treat the outside of your lenses with like a anti fog treatment. So this cleaning solution. Cody, you just pointed out. So this is the part of the anti-fog and lens cleaning solution that can help. It doesn't always. It's not always perfect. It can. It, you can still get some of that fogging. Right. How does that fogging happen? How can you avoid it? Other than maybe a solution or something like that. What What do you guys? What have you guys found in your experience? Uh, doing anything like the the anti-fog lens cleaner will help a significant amount, I guess. But they're um 
with uh, exterior fogging, but uh, you know maybe leaving it in an area that's not as cold if you're going to be or not as warm if you're like leaving your house to go outside, mm -hmm. you know, to help the change be not so much, so you're not getting that instant uh, fogging. Basically, just acclimation. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. So, you know, you uh, you're coming out of the cabin, and you know it's nice and toasty in there, and it's only 15 degrees outside. I would probably leave my binos in my case, whatever I'm carrying them in. I don't know, probably for maybe even an hour mm -hmm. if I can help it. Um, just get it used to that air temperature. You know, maybe I would, uh, if there's any way to slowly vent air in and out of the, the case a little more efficiently, you know, slowly do that as time goes on. But really, like you said, it's, it's kind of physics, you know, mm -hmm. a, a warm surface introduced to uh, cold air or cold surface introduced to warm air, you're going to get yep. some kind of reaction that way. Um, so really it comes down to patience. Um, this fog free stuff, it does work, but when it's a super drastic change going from like 70 to 10 or below or something like that, right? that's going to be a, a, a more drastic, uh, change than, uh, vice versa yeah. or a 10 degree difference or something right. like that. So I know I, I, I was talking with the niece and he oh he mentioned a couple of things that that people will run into it it doesn't always have to have to be for example running in and out of a, a cabin right. like you said or a car because something that some guys do is they'll have their binos they keep them around their neck or on a, a chest harness or something like that if it's real cold out and they will have the binos out for a while and then they'll tuck them in under their jacket yep. which as you can imagine you've been walking around for a while yep. you get sweaty and hot underneath that jacket or you don't even have to be like literally like profusely sweating you just you just there is natural humidity to our bodies yep and you trap it in underneath that jacket so it went from cold to hot and then you get that cold beer can effect you know where yeah. you go from a cold cooler to a hot outside right. and immediately start sweating and so like yep. all that condensate builds up on your binos on those nice cold lenses or sometimes people will take their binoculars that have been sitting out in the cold for quite some time and then they bring them up to their face, but they bring them up like, and they do that thing we were just talking about where they just smush them into their eye sockets. Right. Well, now your face is hot. Yeah. So you're putting a hot face up against right. cold lenses. Radiating and you get, off. <laughs> yeah. And so then you get the same thing. And right. next thing they know, oh, man, all this fog out of nowhere. And it's right up on the eyepieces. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's where really something like this comes into play. Like this is good for keeping sort of body heat based fog off of off the lenses. Okay. You know. Cool. And does it just help it, I guess, you know, dissipate or disappear faster? Or does it just like, it just kind of, like if you took your hot breath on a colder day and went, ah, like, does it not even show up or does it just dissipate faster? It, yeah, it dissipates faster. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's magic. It's a force field. It's very, <laughs> very magic. So, you know, that you were you were talking about the whole fog thing and, um, you know, it, it just being a constant problem. You know, yeah, that's actually... Part of the reason we see a lot of like light minor scratches on on the objectives and oculars is people are trying to get that fog off, but it just keeps reappearing every five seconds. You yeah. Know? So that's something to be aware of. Again, it's another like patience thing. It's a waiting game for when you know your binos have acclimated. You'll know when mm -hmm. when they're ready to use, and and you well, don't have to keep battling them. I, I know <laughs> I've done it just in the field where like you know I've got a little piece of debris. And then, you know, I, I go to blow it out and it's like, you know, a frosty day. And like, I mean, I'm like, like I shouldn't, <laughs> like, you know, fog. now yeah. I can't look yeah. through these things yeah. for like a few, you know. Yeah. Every I time. I mean, it only lasts, you know, whatever. Right. But 
Well, that is the thing. Everything acclimates. I mean, it's like when you have a face mask on, but you're wearing sunglasses out in the field and you accidentally breathe into your face mask and the warm air goes up into your glasses. That that happens, but you just got to wait a while and it all eventually goes away. Something to stay cognizant of, though, like particularly mm-hmm. like if you're you know, in a hunting situation where seconds count and things are getting exciting, you might be gone up a hill and you're breathing heavy. Is uh, At the moment of truth, you know, don't hit hit him with that blast of hot air right yeah. when you need to look through the right your eyepiece your rifle scope or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, that's what that's where I've heard it. You know, some shooters are like cognizant of which way they're breathing so they don't fog up their makes their sense. scope. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's, makes perfect sense. Just bring a snorkel. When you see somebody out <laughs> when you receive somebody out there next you time go. and you're on the mountain and it's really cold <laughs> out and they just have like a full <laughs> snorkel kit and they're just yep. that way all the hot air just heads right out the top. Vortex product development. If you're listening right now, it's like a chimney. Yeah, a chimney for your face. It'd have like some kind of a like helmet attachment for something like this, so you've got the binos and the snorkel. Oh yeah, like the cool like uh, nods or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) those like special operator nods, but it's got a snorkel and binos on it. I like that. Do we cover pretty much everything? I can't think of anything else. What else? There's some spotter specific. Oh, spotter, spotter specific stuff. Yeah, that's right. What do you guys think? Is it better to uh, to store your spotting scope with the eyepiece in it or with the eyepiece removed and the covers put on? Like what what this this junction of the eyepiece into the main body of the spotting scope? Is there anything like major that you can accidentally screw up there or whatever uh, it might be? I guess I the more you're using the lock mechanism, the more likely it's used. It could have something go, but you know it, it probably doesn't matter either way. But you know, you think about it when you take that off like that, you have two more lenses exposed now. Yeah. You have to make sure you keep clean. So that's mm-hmm. something to think about. Like, I see a tiny little piece of debris in there right now. How much am I going to be able to see that? It's, uh, it's on the surface of, like, what is that? Is there a prism in there? Like a bino? Yeah, there, mm-hmm. there's prisms in there, yeah. Okay. Uh, Hold that on, is, Jim, I'm coming over. Don't breathe on it. There's that, very the little chance at all oh, that you'll yeah. see that. Okay. When you would see something, it's most likely in... The eyepiece itself. Okay. On almost any optic that we run into, that's that's generally the the, the thing because the fo- when when your eye is actually focusing, it's it's more towards the rear here, mm-hmm. and these like everything up to, you know, the ocular itself, just about or some of the last elements in the ocular are just mostly me- mostly there for light collection. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same concept as, you know, you can have objectives like this and you don't even see them when you're actually using the the optic the way it's supposed to. Right. So more internally, if there was a spec, would be where you would see it versus further out. Right, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a user's choice, in my opinion, when it comes to taking on and off the eyepiece. If it's in a certain bag and it doesn't fit quite nicely with the eyepiece installed, maybe take it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it is extra leverage if it's going to be banging around on things. Yeah. That's one extra point that you can, you know, minimize the stress on the scope body itself if it's removed. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, mostly, you know, just keep an eye on your lenses and go either way, really. Makes sense. Mark, what was the one about spotters that you thought of, too? Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to minimizing stress. You know, I've seen a fair amount of folks, you know, they've got their spotter on their tripod, and maybe they're going from spot to spot, or they're going to hike up to that next knoll, and they maybe, you know, they don't pull their spotter off. They just huck it on the tripod over their shoulder. That seems like there's kind of a lot of weight hanging off the back end there attached to a relatively small thread. It's, it's a small thread piece there. So, yeah. I mean, 
I guess, recommendations on to do not, or not do. It's not all spotters. It's a small thread. I mean, look at your QR plate. Look at the little stud that sticks up out of that. I mean, thing. it's pretty it comes standard. Up it's like a quarter naughty. twenty, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that almost across the board? Quarter twenty. That's what all of them are using. I mean, that is a little stud. Yeah. Relatively. So, like, ideally, yeah, when instead of putting it over your shoulder like that with it attached to your tripod, uh, you should just, you know, just release your quick release plate and separate them would be ideal mm-hmm. for carrying. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not talking like, oh, I'm going to move over here. And I think, you know, obviously like holding this, leaving the spotting scope on the tripod and I guess it's like vertical position, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, I'm going to slide over So if you're going like, to take it horizontally, right. But yeah, but right. Yeah, ba- basically don't put all of the weight of your spotting scope, leave it in the suspension of that little stud. Right. You know, like when you're slinging it over your shoulder, I mean, you're basically just saying, I mean, nothing is holding the spotting scope up aside from that thread. And when you think about, like, that's a lot of weight cantilevering over just like a little foothold. I don't know. Is it force equals mass over area? Don't quote my physics at all. Wait, what? I thought it was F equals M over A. M times A. Force equals mass times acceleration. I don't know. I don't know how area got in there, and then you brought division. <laughs> Jim, I'm no math magician. I've said it before. That's all right. Technology and math are not my strong suits. I don't know why I even brought that up. It's hey, embarrassing. That's all right. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Don't don't just I guess you know sling, sling it over your shoulder. There was another thing you were going to bring up too with uh, Ryan. Cut all that. No, it's staying <laughs> too late. Yeah, the uh, you know, we were talking about um ways that we could prevent um, accidents from happening with tripods. So what we see a lot of is um, obviously the scope falls off the tripod. Well, a lot of that might have to do with uh, the wind. Yeah. It, it wouldn't take much of a gust for well, in some parts of the country for, for or this uh, scope to fall off a tripod or, or tip, not even tip, tip, or tip yeah. over. Right? Yeah. So a lot of people might ignore that we have like a balance hook at the bottom of our tripods. Mm-hmm. Which is meant to basically attach like a bag, or anything. Um, yeah, really in. anything. Um, the whole point is just to add weight to like the central point of the tripod, mm-hmm. and lower um, the center of gravity, right, and, and and make it more solid. So if you could widen out the base and still get the same height that you need, great. You know, I usually will like hook my range bag in under there, and that's like you know fifty, sixty pounds on the tripod. You need a pretty sturdy yeah. tripod if you want to do that. Yeah. But Well, yeah, and I think that's double duty because that's going to improve your viewing experience as well. Yeah, oh, exactly. It's super, mm-hmm. super stable, yeah. Center so. of gravity is a super interesting thing when you actually look into it. I know a lot of people say, like, center of gravity, like, oh, lower your center of gravity. Like, center of gravity is just some arbitrary thing, but it's actually, you can actually very mathematically figure out center of gravity. It's like, there is, at, at some point, because of the weight and the height and the width of everything, there's a center of gravity. So when you put a bigger spotting scope, like I'm holding an 85-millimeter spotting scope here, on top of a tall tripod that puts that center of gravity way up there, and then you have your small base relatively of the tripod in comparison to its height, and if it just tips enough to exceed the center of gravity, as soon as the center of gravity exceeds the base width, it's going over. Yeah. Like, there's no question about it. So if you can lower that, then it makes it have a longer way to travel before it's actually going over the base. Oh, that was a really nerdy Numbers, moment man. of <laughs> of, uh, of this podcast brought to you by Jimmy there. But I do recall that because I used to drive a Jeep in high school and I had to tell my mom, explain to her why I felt it was not going to flip over. 
Because it's it like so I don't high. want you to drive that Jeep. Those things flip over. And I was like, Well, mom, let me explain to you center of gravity. See if I uh, put <laughs> tires on that aren't as big as, <laughs> as you know. I was I know I was talking about thirty fives, but if I just go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Force, your, uh, force equals mass times acceleration, Jim. Just looked it up. Why'd you have to double-check me on it? I didn't. Du- I was double-checking myself. Well, but I told you. Trust well, but verify. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Scott said. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred and however many episodes, and we're still at this this point <laughs> together. Trust <laughs> issues. Still, yeah, trust We've got issues. trust issues. Yeah, the whole thing's crumbling at its bases. Really great stuff, though, guys. Appreciate you guys coming in and, and talking about all these things. I know a lot of people, like I said, have been messaging in on Instagram, and whatnot, asking about just proper optics maintenance and care, those kinds of things. And again, like I said, a lot of what we talked about was binoculars and spotting scopes, but also applies to rifle scopes, um, red dots, and all those things. Did we miss anything? No, we did a pretty good job. Uh, Jim, we haven't we haven't done last calls in a while. I've got a couple last calls. Oh yeah. Oh man, you probably got a number Uh-oh. of these last calls <laughs> saved up. Yeah, that's right. Just two. You, uh, all right. Well, that, I I just did my last call. I talked about center of gravity and stuff. What's yours? Did you write on no, your piece of paper? No, it's just my writing. We've gone over this. What is that word? We're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. We gotta if we, if we can at some point on Instagram post a collage of Mark's notes from all these episodes. They're, they're just they're, <laughs> they're from. I write them. Might like, as well be hieroglyphics. I write them like this so you don't steal my ideas. <laughs> So here, here's one of them. We talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, the connection of, uh, you know, your binocular harness to the physical, you know, uh, loop on the binocular that's built into the housing and yeah, how yep, yep. important that is. And I think probably a lot of people know, but maybe some people don't, is nowadays pretty much all of our binoculars come with an included chest harness where the straps are very friendly towards that piece of the binocular. Correct. So I thought I would point that out because I think that's a big deal. It's going to come with a chest harness. It's a quality chest harness. Mm -hmm. My other one, Jim, goes back to the cleaning of the optics. And I know at the very beginning of the podcast, I talked about, oh, you just take your shirt tail and, you know, give her a nice little scrub. Jim, wouldn't it be awesome if a company came out with a series of shirts that had a built-in lens cleaning cloth to the bottom there. Wouldn't that, that would be, be awesome? Pretty amazing. Like a quality I I, like a quality lens cleaning cloth built right in. I declare, if a company came out with such a thing, I would buy all their shirts. Regardless of size. Regardless of size. Or color. That too. It's that big a deal. I would buy all their shirts. And I would advise all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you going with this, Mark? You know what? I lost my train of thought. Oh. That's okay. all I got. All right. That was, a, that was a good last last calls. That's my that's my last calls. What about you guys? Yeah, Cody. Oh, I don't know. Just uh, you can always do the old t- poker table. Yeah, the old poker check. table check. Yeah, but hey, it's I'm sorry, I interrupted Ray as you got going into something. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, just keep stuff clean and uh, yeah, be careful. Good stuff. Um, well, one of the one of the guys down in the repair department uh, told me I should probably say something, but this is, I don't know if you want to edit this, Ryan, or whatever. But <laughs> staying in, whatever now. it's going to be. Anytime but, anybody says something about editing something out, you know it has to stay <laughs> in. Yeah. So I guess I just would like to encourage everybody to try, if they can, to become part of a uh, Pro Two A membership. 
uh, like FPC or um, GOA, you know, oh, cool. um, keep an eye on the, the, the two-way laws and uh, do their best to support them in the Second Amendment. That's a great one. Always a good thing. Like, that's a great way to end, in fact. Good stuff. Good stuff. I like that. I think we're all set. So we are going to sign off on Sign that. off. All right. all right. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everybody, cool. for Thank listening. You guys. Hey, thanks, guys. Let yeah. us know if you have any other topics you want to hear about. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, Maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.